Welcome to Obstetric Anesthesia Basics, a short podcast series for anesthesia trainees new to obstetric anesthesia. So I think we could probably move on to the pain round then, unless there's yep. anything else that you can think of. No, that that's we good. Talked about for. All right, so what's your approach then to assessing a patient with headache? What's a what's a safe approach to this particular head, uh, this particular patient? Mm. <clears throat> so you're going to be thinking fairly high up on your differential diagnosis list is a postural puncture headache, if the characteristics of the headache are such. But you always need to think about other causes of headache in the postpartum period. And the things I would think of are things from simple things, um, simple headaches, tension headaches pre-existing history of migraine and uh, an episode of migraine, um, obstetric-related causes like um, preeclampsia, which can um, develop in the postpartum period. Mm. Um, and then the more concerning um, uh, intracranial events that can happen, some of which are associated with postural puncture headache and also with pregnancy, so things like a subdural hematoma, a sagittal sinus thrombosis. Um, we stuck something in the intrathecal space so you've got to think about meningitis mm. and encephalitis and uh, rarely you may have some other space occupying lesion like a tumour or other bleed that just happens to be there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they, are, they can present in pregnancy because of the changes of pregnancy mm-hmm. yeah. and you know pregnant women are on the whole young subarachnoid hemorrhage mm. tends to happen in young people as well so that's been reported yeah. as well mm. and two things can exist as well at the same time so you can have a postural puncture headache and something else so it's yeah, worth thinking about those. And women, you know, especially if they've got preeclampsia or predisposes to intracerebral events, um, and you have valsalvering and pushing and all sorts of things. Mm. So mm. we've all know we've all got lots of anecdotes of women who have been asked to see as a duty anaesthetist or uh, take a phone call about um, because they've got a headache and of course it's so epidural, but that's turned out to be other unrelated phenomena like mm. benign tumours and um, mm-hmm. um, subdurals. Yeah, we've, oh, I don't know, we've definitely had cases and things like that. Mm. So. so you've seen cases? Yep, in this, hosp- in this institution, yep. Um, so what would, you, what would you be looking for to say this is a postural puncture headache? What's a classic presentation? Uh, the timing at which the headache is presented. So typically these are delayed presentations, so sort of 24, 48 hours after the event. Uh, that's pretty classic. Um, and probably the most classical thing is the positional nature of the headache. So it uh, tends to be better when lying, supine, and worse when sitting because of the gravitational effect and the um, increased loss of CSF and um, reduction of intracranial pressure pulling on your pain-sensitive um, bridging vessels in your head and causing some reactive vasodilatation in the head as well, and mm. that causes your headache. Yeah, so in this woman who's had a known dural puncture, is that the scenario? Right, yep. Yeah. If she had a continuous <coughs> headache, that would cause concern, and you'd wonder whether she's... Um, when you say continuous, you mean not Like postural. it doesn't go away yep. when she lies down. Usually what happens is they get up and around, and then after a little while, it's the headache so bad, they just go and lie back down on the bed, and then it gets better. Mm. Um, but if it's continuous, that would cause concern. I would have a low threshold for imaging head um, to make sure that she hasn't... Yeah. Um, unfortunately, had a complication like a subdural or something like that, which can happen with low pressure headaches. Can mm. 
And what about if somebody didn't have a known dural puncture, like uh, if they had a lower pretest probabil- probability, say? Um, yeah, once again, I think I don't know what you think, Matt. I think you should have a lower threshold for imaging them if it's not a classic story and, mm-hmm. de- and if they haven't had a known dural puncture headache, a known dural puncture well. during labour or at some stage. So if the if the characteristics are classic though, and yeah. they've had a uh, neuraxial intervention, yeah. albeit without a recognised dural puncher. Um, you should still consider that this was due to a dural puncture, and yeah, right. that uh, Mike Pake has done in this department show that up to thirty percent of post-dural puncture headaches were associated without recognition of a mm. dural puncture. Yeah, so the correct response so in, important a, in a, in a viva would be obviously to take a good history and examination because you want to make sure there's <coughs> no neurolo- no other neurological signs or symptoms, um, and if it is literally just a headache and it goes away when they lie down. Mm. There's no other neurology. And Roger, uh, are there any other features? <coughs> Sorry, I'm asking the question. No, no. Tinnitus, so uh, um, sometimes they feel it in their neck and they're, um, it's not class, not always in the head. Yeah. And you can have some um, cranial nerve changes as well, mm. just with a, with a dual punch headache, couldn't mm. you? Can you? You can get a sixth nerve, can't you, normally? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think um, neck stiffness is really common yeah. when, when you look for it and and uh, I remember looking after somebody who had just terrible neck stiffness on sitting up no headache it was mm. all in the neck and it just went away when she was lying flat and we yeah, ended okay. up um, doing a blood patch and all, all was better mm. and no headache at all but it's, it's very common yeah yep so that's, that is an important point mate you're right it's not always classically a headache and mm. it can be a bit uh, you know, um, they have these things like these other features. Yeah, so, you know, and also you see photophobia from time to time mm-hmm. um, and the cranial nerve symptoms, but a diplopia. So you can have neck stiffness and photophobia, so you do have to think of other causes as well. So, yeah, like Roger says, have a low index of suspicion if it isn't typical, but sometimes it isn't typical, but it is still a postural punch headache. Mm. Yeah, and I guess it depends on how easy it is to image people, but I think in this day and age, the correct answer is, if if possible, uh, to image someone because it is a fairly safe answer, and it's probably yeah, safe practice in real life too. If if you are if you're unsure, worried. if you're worried, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, but you don't need to image to diagnose. Not routinely, yeah. no. So, so we would headache. we wouldn't like we would do blood patches on lots of people without imaging them. I guess is mm-hmm. um, uh, is the truth. But I'm, what we're trying to say is that if you got that nagging concern in your head when you see them that something's not right Mm -hmm. or if um, you've done a blood patch and it didn't work or if they have features that aren't really normal Mm -hmm. like it doesn't go away when they lie down or um, do you you do the abdominal squeeze Roger to no I don't I don't I don't know. Yeah. I've read about it and I've read it's not, not the best, but what's your experience of the abdominal <laughs> squeeze? <laughs> I have had an, ex- an abdominal squeeze experience. What I would suggest if you are doing it, maybe tell a nurse you're doing it. I was in a, <laughs> this was some time ago, I'm not sure if I should share this. <laughs> um, well, it is. So, so when, when we're talking about abdominal squeeze, what we're doing is getting um, somebody to, I, I think it's quite useful to assess pain. A headache when they're lying flat, get them to sit up and then assess it a little while later to see. So you get a really good idea of, yeah. of how it's changed. And um, it was somebody called Gutch many years ago, an American guy, discussed um, squeezing the abdomen and um, asking what happens to the headache. And 
the feeling is if it's a low-pressure headache by squeezing the abdomen, you increase your intracranial pressure and your headache goes away. Patients think you're like some sort of amazing magician. (laughs) (laughs) They 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 just want you to hold on to the tummy. My headache's just gone now and it's just going to go away. Um, I remember in my early years doing this with a lot of enthusiasm in a a single room, um, my arms wrapped around a patient and a nurse came in and said, I'm terribly sorry, I'll come back later. (laughs) And I suddenly realised, actually, if you are going to do this, yeah, Mm. probably maybe do it with someone else around you. Um, But the the other patients think, you're quite amazing, but unfortunately when you let go, it does tend to come back. Yeah, Mm. I I guess that does make you think that that's fairly... I don't know. Uh, do, do migraines get better if you increase? That's, that's the thing. You know how. So how, how you how like being serious? It? How mm-hmm. specific and sensitive yeah. is that? As a as a sort of therapy, you know, prognostic sort of. Mm-hmm. And if they tell you it's postural, are you getting more information? Really, if they've already told you it's postural? So. Yeah, yeah. I, but I must admit, since that experience, <laughs> I I, I, I heard people it. heard people talking about it, but I've never done it. Yeah. Just uh, when your confidence is low, you can find a patient who's uh, they can tell you you've got a magic magic finger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Um, what are your management options then for treating this postural puncture headache? On should we start with? Mm-hmm. Uh, we could broadly um, yeah. classify that into conservative Perfect. and um, less conservative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Marvelous. Um, I mean, there are so many therapies that have been described. Um, most of them with very poor scientific. Um, evidence to support them that this if you're asked this question in an exam it's actually very straightforward because nothing works mm. um, apart from an blood patch yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right um, so headaches um, typically will go away mm. um, and um, when you look back in the history and there's a great description when Beer got his um, dural punch after mm. he was experimenting back at the turn of the 19th century he, he describes a classic postural puncture headache with all the features that we've discussed, um, and he had to take to his bed for about seven days. Mm. But on the seventh day, he rose and went off hunting, I think, and was fine. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so we'll these things do go away. Story, yeah. So the difficulty is that when you come up with a bright idea to treat something, and unless you're doing it in a proper randomised control fashion and comparing it against something else, if the headache goes away, you can't say it was due to mm. the thing you were trying to treat it with. So. There's a whole myriad of things that have been suggested. We could rattle them off, Roger, couldn't yes, we? Things right. we've all tried. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, there, there may be some benefit to some of them, but um, <clears throat> the um, the evidence suggests it's not strong enough to necessarily recommend these things. That's right, yeah. And you've got to bear in mind the side effects of some of these things. So, um, yeah, so I, I, like you, Matt, I say to the patients, there's two sort of main pathways. One is weight. The, the leak will stop mm. and the headache gets better. When do you say roughly? Do you say one week or? Definitely? And I say it varies. Most people are usually a week, but some there are case reports of some headaches that have gone on for months mm-hmm. to years. So, yeah, um, it's hard to say, and it depends on, I guess, on the individual and the size of the hole. And then the other, the other major option is to do a blood patch, which is not mm. always work. Doesn't always work, but is definitely probably the only therapeutic invention with. Which most people feel is effective, and how many? Uh, but said that doesn't always work. Yeah, and it's a real shame because you know blood patch is invasive. You know, you're you're returning to the technique that causes complication in the first place. Mm. So I believe you have another. It's good kind story of disappointing that. <laughs> that there is no 
there isn't any alternative yeah. therapy. Yeah. So like R- Roger says, waiting and, and waiting yeah. doesn't and then, mean bed rest because mm. bed rest makes your headache feel better, but it doesn't speed up the resolution. Mm. No, it. that's right. And Just it may be associated you. with other things, especially if you've had an operation and you're pregnant, you're more at risk of um, thromboembolic complications. So mm. um, <clears throat> people will often rest because it's more comfortable, mm. but telling people to rest isn't necessarily the right thing to do yeah. because yeah. that will not necessarily make it go any better. Yeah, so all the things that I list, like Matt was saying, of all these things that, that have been thrown around and are still thrown around mm. is um, drink plenty of water. I think that's counterproductive. They end up just having to go to the toilet a lot. I don't mm. know if there's any evidence for that at all. Mm. Um, have lots of caffeine. I think you'll be careful saying that because people get insomnia, they get... Mm. Um, tremulous and uh, agitated and, and there's lots of side effects of having high doses of caffeine if you don't and they are really high don't, doses aren't they yeah. if you don't normally drink lots of coffee or you don't take caffeine tablets yeah, that can be quite uh, unpleasant and if you're breastfeeding um, you can yeah. go into breast milk as well <coughs> and um, give you an irritable baby and then there's um, all the normal analgesics that we use like, like including you know, non-steroidals paracetamol the gabapentinoids the opioids People try to treat the headaches with all those and they have varying effects, but I don't think there's much evidence for any of them, except basically lying down. This is the only thing that really works most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's observational studies. And then there's sphenopalatine ganglion blocks, which I think, once again, I'd throw in there with all the tablets that we give. You know, they they may well actually make the headache better for a short period of time Mm. or or sometimes even, you know, for a long part of the day. But... um, probably doesn't change the the leak or change the pathology and it's just um, uh, another thing to help them um, cope while they're waiting for the headache or for the for the leak to get better Mm. is it is there anything i've forgotten of sumatriptan sumatriptan acth occipital nerve blocks the oxygen yeah dexamethasone i mean there's so many things yeah and they've all been thrown around i don't think there's much evidence for any of them um but i think it's important that there's not much evidence that's not to say they don't necessarily work. I think they're probably unlikely to work. Cause mm. We probably would have seen a result. But um, I think uh, the correct answer would be s- to say there is insufficient evidence yes. to support their treatment. I think that's, that's right. quite a good statement to use in any exam. Mm. If, yep. if it's, been it's been very hard um, disease or pathological th- um, syndrome to study. I know um, Mike Paik, who works in our department, spent um, a long time doing a study uh, to try and est- estimate what's the best dose of blood to use in an epidural blood patch, mm. and you know, just to get enough numbers for that, he had like about ten hospitals around the world trying to recruit for us for, mm. for the study, and it took him about ten years or something. So it's just a really hard th- um, condition to study because you, it's hard to get the patients mm. and to and to and to do something. So. Okay, let's just say for exam purposes I'm going to make you both commit. So you've got the patient and they don't want an epidural blood patch, they want to leave it for a day. Yep. Would you chart them anything? Any pharmacological management? What would you actually chart? Yeah, so I, I, I would chart some simple pain yeah, relief. simple analgesics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I would probably chart something a little stronger if needs be, but mm-hmm. I would say to them, look, this is most likely going to go away. Keep yourself hydrated. Mm-hmm. Don't overhydrate. Avoid dehydration. Um, take some simple pain relief, mobilise as you feel able. Yep. Yep. Same. And, that and uh, we'll keep reviewing you. <coughs> I have, um, you know, tried the sphenopalatine ganglion blocks in mm-hmm. some patients, and that does help some you, patients. You have personal experience, Roger. I have I had really oh, really? swabs up my nose myself, yes. 
Um, yes, I have. I, I, wouldn't, yes, I, have. I wouldn't try and oversell it to the patients, though. So tell them what it is when that is. It's just like another mm. type of analgesic to help them. Uh, to, to help just them cope with it. Yeah. But it's not probably, uh, it's, unlike, it's hard to imagine how it would change the course of what would happen if you just waited. Mm. It may help them mobilise a bit more rather than just lying on the bed. Um, and some some patients it has dramatically you know, helped them for, for a number of hours during the day. But once again, I don't I wouldn't oversell it. And do you mind just explaining what an epidural blood patch is for those who haven't seen it? Most people wouldn't have seen one. Yeah. Um, so uh, it is a, another epidural. So, but the difference here is we don't typically put the catheter in. The epidural blood patches can be done with a pre-existing catheter, but we won't talk about that um, so typically we would um, perform another epidural and we would do this um, at or below the uh, the space we did the initial epidural um, <clears throat> take some blood in a very sterile way and inject the blood taken from the patient into the epidural space roughly 20 mils usually would you say or do you just stop when you roughly 20 mils so um Going back to the, the study that Roger just mentioned, mm. so this is a really important study and you know, hats off to Mike Pake for persevering with this, but it's, it's provided a lot of um, information, not just on the volume, but lots of other outcomes. And um, Mike randomised patients to receive 15, 20 or 30 mils of blood mm-hmm. um, and found, <coughs> well he found that it's quite hard to get 30 mils of blood in because you, um, a lot of the patients got back pain, and that's probably one of the most common uh, side effects of a blood patch, both at the time of doing the blood patch and also post-patch. Um, so there were limited um, numbers of people randomised to the 30 mil group that actually got the 30 mils, but he was able to show that 20 mils was better than 15. Mm-hmm. So roughly, as you say, Laura, 20 mils, I think, is what we should aim for. Yeah. And most people put it in sort of five mil increments, um, and you stop if they're getting significant discomfort. Mm-hmm. So um, it varies. Most people, you can get 15 to 20 mils in, but occasionally you can get someone and they just can't tolerate. And I guess, you know, if they're getting a lot of mm. really bad discomfort, so sometimes you inject like three or four mils and they say it's it's, it's aching or too, it's uh, uncomfortable and then you wait a minute and then it's all good and you can inject a little bit more, that's fine. But when they're saying it's definitely uncomfortable, you gotta sort of you mm-hmm. know, just you just have to stop, I think. Yeah, it is a bit subjective, but you can sort of tell. And does the headache go away straight away if it works? Or should we should we we talk about the Mm, the um, before actually doing it about timing? Um, Mm. Yeah, so usually how you would maybe discuss and consent somebody. Mm. Yeah, this is really important question. And 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 having a sort of um, a cohesive um, explanation to the patient. So each person who comes and sees them on the pain room each day says a fairly similar thing. Mm-hmm. and gives fairly similar numbers is useful because sometimes they see someone different every every 12 hours and they mm-hmm. get wildly different. Exp- um, uh, you know, one person's very pessimistic about how blood patches are mm-hmm. uh, useless and don't worry about them, and then someone else says, oh, they're great. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so having a consistent um, uh, message uh, creates confidence in the patient that then you, go, you know you, you and your department know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and you've got to look after them. What, what do you think we should say, Matt? No, 
consistent messaging is really important. Yeah, I think whoever says something at the start, as long as it's not crazy, <coughs> everyone else should should say the same Keep thing. Keep it consistent. Sure. Yeah. Well, what do you think is a reasonable number to quote then for a success rate of epidural blood patch first patch? Um, it varies in the literature, doesn't it? It, it does, does vary. Yeah. I, um, it's, I wish I knew what our pain team say we should say, but um, I usually say that. Um, if it's someone, it, it, I think it varies. If it's someone who's had a known dural puncture, I think the success rate's higher, isn't it, Matt? Um, well, sometimes you have patients who have, you know, that that 30% who were probably a dural puncture, but no one noticed it at the time. Mm. I think there's a small number of that 30% who probably don't have a dural puncture headache, maybe who are getting blood patches, um, so it might dilute it out a bit. So, but if someone's like a classic <coughs> patient who had a known dural puncture and now's got a classic postural headache. I will say, uh, I'll usually say roughly 50 to 60% of them will get resolution of the headache with a dural, with a, with a blood patch. And then of the other 40 to 50%, they will, they, the headache might still be there, but it'll be heaps better. And then it'll be maybe 10% of people where no, it just doesn't help at all. I don't know what other people quote, but I think that's roughly what um, people tend to say in this hospital. I don't know if that's based on any real data or I've just made that up. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, that that might be reasonable. a might be a little bit more pessimistic. Yep. Um, I, I think I was going to say there's yeah. a very high chance you will get relief initially, but there's, there's I think an unfortunate chance that your headache may recur, and I think that's important to get across. And certainly, when you look back at the early studies, I mean, when I was training, yep. we used to quote ninety percent success rates, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was really because that's people crazy. weren't really following up patients, and so they were doing the patches. Um, getting better and off they go study ended mm. but when you look at it in a better way and I think Mike's studies show that permanent cure was only about 30% yeah, when you actually okay. looked in the longer term but partial or permanent cure was sort of over sort of 50, 60, 70% mm. so I think you know I, it's reasonable to say look there's a very You're good right. chance it's going to work I'll initially but it may recur and mm. we may have to do it again I think I like your um description better because you're not using any numbers and I think actually mm. being, being serious that numbers sometimes you know, people hang off yeah. them and so that's probably a, bit, a better way of doing it mm. but even a um, success rate of over 50% is pretty good for any medical intervention you yeah. think about it it is yeah. pretty dramatically um, mm. I mean you know I think all of us who do blood patches know that it does work because there's some you know patients who mm. are like literally incapacitated can't get out of bed and then um, you do the blood patch and they're Dramatically better, mm. yeah. Until the headache comes back. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a, um, you're a very pessimistic. <laughs> but we know we 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 repeat patch people every yes, year, right. don't we? So yeah, um, we're doing that because but the headaches have returned. Yeah, uh, but often yeah, so sometimes we do have to do repeat patches, but um, often those repeat patches work. Mm. And does a repeat patch have a higher chance or a lower chance of working? Oh. Uh, so that is a good question. <laughs> I, I would say it's probably this, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously if you do something twice, the adi- additive effects of doing something twice makes it likely that the overall chance of it being successful is greater. Mm. Uh, but I don't know whether... I guess it depends on itself. If, your, um, if your initial patch was not in the epidural space. Then you're yeah, so sometimes there's technical there may reasons. Be some, sometimes, you know, patches have been done, there's been no benefit at all. Mm. Yeah. Um, there might have been technical issues of finding which, yes, the dural space, yeah. the blood wasn't injected, or there was discomfort when the blood was injected, so not much was put yeah. in various other But I don't think we see that many third or fourth patches. No. 
I so would have a fairly, uh, I have a fairly strict rule in my head that if, um, mm. you know, if you've had one or maybe two blood patches, you should have imaging. Mm. In fact, to be honest, I, well, it's easy for me to say that because it's easier for us to, we have a fairly easy access to an MRI, but, and it may vary f- for other people who are listening. Um, but if, I, if I've been asked to look after a patient who's had one blood patch and it's not worked, I would image them. When you say imaging? So MRI of their head and spine. Okay. Yeah. You always do spine as well to see if they've got an ongoing leak or? I think so. I, I, I would talk to the neuroradiologist mm-hmm. and get their advice, but usually that's what they advise as well. Mm. Um, and is there a place for prophylactic blood patches? So I don't think there's any known. evidence for that. What um, and so what, what do you mean by prophylactic so blood patch? So let's say you have Laura. a known uh, accidental dural puncture with a 16-gauge toy mm. and they haven't developed a headache yet. So you're, yeah. So, so um, and the epidural's still in? Would it make a difference if the epidural's still well, you in? you definitely can't. So um, that if, uh, if in some institutions people have recited an epidural, in the, and then the, the studies that were, where they've looked at prophylactic blood patches, they put blood through mm-hmm. that epidural catheter before they've taken it out. So you you would have yeah. A so so there is a, so um, this was mostly done in the US, mm-hmm. I believe, and I and I don't know if it's still happening. I I don't think I it's don't happening so much, but it was it was I think more a US management phenomena that um, epidurals were done. Blood patches were done prophylactically, so either by the catheter or early on before the headache developed, with the feeling that they might reduce the onset of the headache or the severity of the mm. headache. Yeah, and it sort of makes biological sense. I can understand the reason. <coughs> yeah, and if you have an eighty percent chance of developing one, I suppose you. Mm. Can. But the evidence suggests that um, you'll be. Some people don't get a headache, so yep. then you're treating that group of people for something that they weren't going to get. Mm. And also, um, they probably don't work so well if you do them early um, because of CSF has effects on coagulation mm-hmm. um, and also the flow of CSF may be much higher in those early days. So um, in terms of timing, there is some relatively poor evidence, but I think it's a reasonable thing to delay a blood patch unless there's a very strong indication for 48 hours. There is you know, observational data that suggests that it is more effective if it's delayed by 48 hours. Yeah, and I think es- certainly, especially when you're, when you're then trying to, to consent a patient to accepting another two needle in their back, um, it's good for them to to see what, which way the headache's going. So, mm-hmm. a have they got a headache, and then b is it getting better by itself anyway, or is it really terrible and um, are they really are having trouble getting out of bed and breastfeeding or doing all the things they need to do? Mm-hmm. Forty eight hours gives everyone, including the patient and uh, the anaesthetic team a chance to see what's happening yeah. and make a decision whether the risk benefit's reasonable to, to go ahead. So I, I think that's a pragmatic, mm. sensible way to approach it. Yeah. Excellent. And are, uh, any other things you look out for, Roger, before you're going to do a blood patch? Also, if, yeah. you, if you've been considering a blood patch, so you've thought about the timing, uh, any other things you might... Yeah, so you wouldn't want to do it on anyone who's febrile, tachycardic, because just unwell, you know, obviously um, uh, that's a, a contraindication. Um, you know, you wouldn't be wanting to, if someone if you thought someone could have a bacteremia, et cetera, you know, mm. you're not gonna be wanting to take their blood and inject it. Um, if any concerns about the diagnosis, you know, that's mm. that's probably the most common thing is have you got the diagnosis right? Is there something else going on? 
And uh, was there anything else um, you were thinking of I, when you said that? No, I was thinking exactly of that. Mm. Yeah. And also just keep an eye on the um, hamper and whether it was given. Yes, of course, yeah. Um, that's, that's true as well. Yeah, could be caught out with that. So just the same rules, really, for an epidural? Yep. Yeah. A labour epidural, all right? Yeah. And I think it's important because, you know, we're, we're very used to consenting patients for anaesthesia, but this is actually a therapeutic procedure we're doing. So I, I think it's good practice to consent them with, as we would normally, but, you know, get some written consent. As yeah, well. I do a formal written consent. Mm. Um, I get a, you know, generic consent form and I write And what things would you consent them for? Um, so, you know, infection, bleeding, nerve damage, um, recurrent dural puncture. So, you know, that has... Mm. I, I've never had that happen when I've done a blood patch but it has happened um, and then I also actually write down this may not work so you may get no relief mm-hmm. I think that's important too mm-hmm. yeah. obviously you're going to say that when you're talking to them about the Can we just talk about the um, mechanism by which it works as well so yeah. what would you expect to see once you I don't think anyone really knows what the mechanism is, there's some theories mm-hmm. one is mm-hmm. obviously that the blood clots and it blocks the hole and so stops the leak and then you, you get better the other is a bit that, I, that I've read is that it's a bit like um, um, injections into tendons and things like that. The blood contains a lot of cytokines and growth factors and things which encourage healing. And so that there's, a, there's some thought that maybe this encourages the healing of the dura and speeds up that process. Um, is there any other? It, you know, obviously, with a, when you inject a, any volume of any fluid into the epidural space, initially that will push CSF up into the head. Mm. So that's the instant relief they get in, in the first few minutes after you've done the blood patch. Mm-hmm. It's just that physical pushing of CSF that was in the spine up into the head. Those are the theories I've heard thrown around. Mm. I don't know if, how anyone can study that. So I suppose, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. If, if you have an initial relief of headache, does it mean it's going to work? Does it? You shouldn't tell the patient. I've had anecdotal reports from patients who had a blood patch and they said they had no headache. And then like two days later they were squatting to pick up their toddler and they felt something pop and then they had a headache again. So I don't know what that means. But there's this like <laughs> description, <laughs> descriptions that they give, <laughs> descriptions that they give. You know, so yeah, obviously yeah, the yeah. leak suddenly came yeah. back. Um, mm. Whether that's got anything to do with the blood clot or whether it's just I don't know. Mm. But you hear these stories. Have you heard stuff? Women describe things like that to you? I yeah. haven't. No, no. Uh, not yet. Look out for it. Mm. I, think, right. I think the um, mechanism isn't entirely known. No, mm. it does sensible seem to answer. Work. And it does when seem you to work. Sort of look at MRIs, blood travels over several segmental spaces. Yeah, and the initial reason that um, someone thought about doing a blood patch was someone who had, um, I can't remember, Matt's got a better memory for historical um, anecdotes, but my understanding was someone did a um, spine on their notice, it was a bloody tap, and Mm. there was probably only one or two mils of blood. Mm. Um, And, 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 you know, even one or two mils of blood have sometimes worked, hasn't it? So it's not always a large volume of blood. The first reported blood patch was done with exactly that, with just one or two mils. Yeah, so there must be something Um, in there. And the headache went away and Mm -hmm. the rest is history. And the volume of blood has just increased over the years. Yeah. Excellent. Is there anything we've missed? Any big ticket items? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Again, a good the, safe answer. The, list, the listeners need to go away and do some heavy lifting themselves here. We can't do all the work for them. True. <laughs> I, hope, be, uh, I hope we haven't embarrassed ourselves and forgotten something really important. I Probably have covered most of it. Would you um, do you tell patients to lie down for a while afterwards, or get I up think and the jump um, about? The general advice is that after a blood patch is to lie down for two hours. But I say to them, there's no scientific evidence for that. Mm-hmm. So if you're busting to go to the toilet or something like that, then um, it's okay for you to get up and go. Because I, 
I mean, I guess the theory there is that so that the blood stays over the the anatomical region where the hole is. Um, where I, and I guess the theory is that if you stand up and ambulate, it could mm. cause under the effects of gravity drain further south and end up in the sacrum or something like that. I don't know. Is that your understanding of what the what that advice is for? Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's a huge yeah. amount of evidence. I think it's very them, typical to say to somebody just lie down for a couple of hours afterwards. But yeah, yeah, mm. and most of them do. I think, and they have a bit of a back ache. Yeah, if you've injected a fair amount of blood, they usually. So it is important actually mm. in the consent process to tell them about that. We didn't. Mm. You did mention earlier, but not when we were talking yeah, about consent. Yeah, I think um, um, they can last for hours, is, a few hours. Is, yeah, and they might sometimes need non-steroidals and stuff. Yeah, um, I think it's, back it's, it's really quite common yep. when you look for it. Um, and follow-up is really important too. Mm. So I think you need to communicate with the patient and also um, GP as well. Yeah, and actually, I think one of the probably we haven't mentioned this. One of the most important managements. Um, points when you're managing these patients it's not what you do but just that you are um, very empathetic and that you're always checking on their well-being mm. and just mm. you know you've done something accidentally which has caused harm make, you know, make sure someone sees them every day make sure someone phones them every day you know that's what matters it's, it's just mm. showing them some attention and and looking after them whether you mm. do a cons- whether you manage them conservatively or the blood patch doesn't really matter as they need to feel like they're being looked after. Mm. Mm. And that's probably more important than anything else. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a miserable thing to have when you're looking mm. after a new baby yeah. plus or minus another If family. they feel like someone came and did a dural puncture and they got this terrible headache and then they never heard from anyone again. Yeah, that's really good. And they yep. just suffer uh, for, for two or three weeks with this terrible headache. Mm. Um, they're going to you know, feel hard done by. We need to study that, don't we? I think most people. I think most people are very good at um, mm. managing, you know, being attentive and trying to look after people. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you both so much. We'll wrap it up there. <laughs> You're right. Welcome. Okay. okay. <coughs> Thank you. You've been listening to the Obstetric Anesthesia Basics podcast series, a short podcast series designed for anesthesia trainees new to obstetric anesthesia. These discussions are designed to encourage uh, understanding and appreciation of the challenges and issues that are frequently encountered in this area of anaesthesia. However, there is no such thing as one correct way to practice obstetric anaesthesia. Equipment, drugs, facilities, protocols and practices will and do vary across hospitals, geographical locations and time. You should always ensure that you follow the appropriate practice in your own institutions. Thank you for listening.